The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. was added so that the trespasses might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, 
we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly will also be united with him in his resurrection. My old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him, the death he died. He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace reading from chapter 5 and 6, the book of Romans. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Today, I want to speak with you about the pilgrim who was on a journey of evil, and it ended in destruction. And finally, Coming to his senses, he made the journey back home. The prodigal son. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come to this broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress, I ask for the pouring out of your Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts, to help us to see and understand what's happening in reality in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, many today who listen are prodigals, and some are elder brothers. But Lord, whichever we are, would you come with healing in our hearts today? Lord, thank you. I pray in your mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus told these beautiful, beautiful parables. And one of my favorite parables is the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in the book of Luke in the 15th chapter. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
this younger son demanded of his father his share of the estate. Now, this was totally against the culture of that day. It was not acceptable for a a son to demand his inheritance while the father was yet alive. He was saying, Father, to me you are dead. I wonder how many times this younger son wished his father dead. I wonder how many times secret visions of sin arose in his heart. Secret visions of sin will always harden the tenderest heart and turn a person into a bitter enemy. It's those secret visions that we hold in our heart that say, I'm not being treated fairly. This is wrong. I have rights too. And so bitterness begins to creep into the heart. Anger begins to build because we say this is not fair. I recently talked with someone who said, Pastor, would you pray that my father will be fair in his will? It reveals the secret of that person's heart that they want everything to be as they want it to be. They have very clear expectations about what is right and what is fair. And Jesus, would you make certain I'm treated fairly and my brothers and sisters are treated fairly because fairness is the standard? Well, no, it's not. Jesus said to the man who came to him asking that he would make his brother be fair in the division of the inheritance. Jesus answered, man, what is that to me? There's nothing fair about life. Life is not fair. And as long as we expect life to be fair and demand that the fairness be in the way we think it should be, our hearts will grow bitter and angry. Our hearts will be filled with judgment. And these visions of sin, the judgments, the anger, they will begin to harden our hearts. Even the tenderest heart can be totally hardened by these visions of my husband is not fair to me. My wife doesn't treat me with respect, as though I'm due respect. Well, I can go in the scripture and show you that wives are supposed to respect their husbands. But when I begin to demand that, it reveals an ugliness in my own soul. No husband is to lay down his life for his wife, regardless of how she may treat him. And wives, when they won't submit their hearts, their lives to their husband, they begin to build up a reservoir of of bitterness and anger. And it finally allows them to be taken over by 
demon spirits of revenge, selfishness, bitterness. There's nothing uglier in life than a person consumed with self-righteousness, with the determination to make everybody fair and right in my eyes. There's nothing uglier than a than a person filled with rage because they think they have not been treated the way they deserve to be treated. This son, this prodigal, he has a father. He lives on the farm. It's a prosperous farm. And this son grows increasingly angry because he doesn't like his father giving him orders. He doesn't like working in the family. He wants his own life. He wants to go to the city, and he wants to become whom he wants to become, and his father stands in the way. Now, please understand, the son can come to the father and say, Father, I need to go to the city. And I need to get a job. I have some dreams and some visions of what I want to do to contribute. Farm life is not for me, Father. And he goes to the city. Perhaps with just the money he saved from his regular income. And there he begins to work and earn his way. This is a very different situation than this son coming to his father and insulting him and stealing from the family half of the family's fortune. Only a a bitter and wicked heart could do that. Only a man who thinks he's been mistreated could do that. And it's a sure sign that this young man is on a course of action that will bring him into catastrophic loss and destruction. And so, this young man is given half of the livestock. He's given half of the money. And he sets off for a distant country soon after that. He can't do anything but leave because he has sinned against his father. He sinned against the family. And now his pride drives him on. His tender heart that used to love his father now hates him. It doesn't matter the crisis that this taking of half of the resources will put the family in. He doesn't care if the family even survives. He doesn't care if his father has to sell the farm. He doesn't care because his heart has been filled with visions of sin, of selfishness, of self. 
I remember the director of our praise and worship team many years ago called and made an appointment and came to the office. And my late wife, Jan, and I sat down with her. And she pulled out her notebook. And the notebook was filled with all of the offenses we had supposedly committed against her. How we had not shown her the respect she was due. How we had not given her the authority she demanded. The list went on and on with dates and events. I finally held up both of my hands and I said, Stop, stop, sister. No more. I think you need to leave. I think you need to leave the church. We're finished until you can repent. For what you're doing is wickedness before God. You've not come to talk about something and be vulnerable and share your hurt. You've come to extract revenge. That's not of Jesus. So off you go. And we helped her, showed her the door. And I never heard from her again. Many in my walk with the Lord, I've watched many turn in bitterness, anger, hostility, at some supposed wrong. Sometimes it was wrong because I made very serious mistakes. But somehow, in their hearts, grew this bitterness, this anger. And it's not surprising that Not long after this, the youngest son sets off with his money. Maybe the livestock on the hoof going for the best price in the city. He goes off to the distant country. And there in the city, he spends his wealth in his wild living. Now there came a time when he did not have any money left because he had nothing to contribute and the the income stream was absent. Now the worst thing that could have happened for this young man is that he had found a a high-paying job and then he would have continued living in the city of sin in his own pride, in his own self-justification, In his own arrogance, he would have continued to live in the city of sin. And he would have been utterly lost. He did find a job. After squandering all of his wealth and wild living, a severe famine came in that whole country. And he began to be in need. A famine always comes in response to thieving, to lying, to cheating. 
effect of having a heart filled with bitterness and anger, at some point God will bring a famine. And this young man now experienced a famine, and he began to be in need. He had to cut back on his food, where once he had spent wildly on new clothes to be in style, where once he'd spent wildly on furnishing his apartment, where he once had spent time with friends and and fellow companions in rebellion. He now runs out of money. He is in the midst of famine. This literally describes the human condition. Jesus, in this one parable, tells the whole story of salvation, where we grabbed what we could grab and said, I'm going, to, I'm going to be full of my own knowledge and my own wisdom, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm not going to be subject to Jesus. I'm not going to be subject to anybody. I'm in charge of my own life. Thank you very much. And we have eaten freely of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> and then finally... We run out of ourselves. And our heart that was once so tender is now hard. He began to be in need. I tell you, there is not anything so vital to our experience with Jesus as to finally begin to need. As long as we don't need, we can be arrogant and harsh and demanding, exact our revenge, grab for what we want to grab for, always demanding that our wife or our husband or our children or our boss or our workmates, always demanding that they do it our way, be the way we want them to be. Or brazenly just say, I don't care who you are and I don't care what you do. I'll do what I want to do. Finally, he has to cast himself on a farmer. He hires himself out to a citizen of that country. And that man sent him to his field to feed the pigs, to be a pig herder. Nothing could have been more obnoxious and unclean and filthy for this Jewish boy, this Jewish man, not to herd sheep, but to herd pigs. Pigs are the filthiest creature on the face of the earth. He's now to feed the pigs. I don't know if you have ever taken care of pigs. Our neighbors, 
when I was a boy, rented out a barn on our property that we rented and put pigs in behind the barn. And I used to go down and watch the pigs and smell their filth. And one day there were there were two piglets and the and the man who owned them came and he saw us there and he said if you'll catch the pig for me I'll give each of you my brother and myself I'll give each of you 50 cents I think it was 50 cents I don't remember the exact amount so we said of course we'll catch the pigs that's easy so we went into the pig pen to catch the two pigs and you know what happened. We slipped and slid. And I think when we finally caught those pigs, we looked and smelled as dirty as the pigs. We had fallen in the slop, in the manure. My mother would not even let us come in the house. She made us strip off our clothes outside and then Dad had to hose us down before we could come in and even then smell like pig slop and climb in the tub and get scrubbed down. You can't play with pigs and not get dirty. He hired himself out who sent him to feed the pods to the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods, but they were too hard to eat. They would not sit well in his stomach. He wasn't earning enough money to pay for a place and food. This farmer did not offer him room and board with his employment. He had to pay for his own place, to have a roof over his head and that many had to literally cut back and sell everything he owned until he had nothing left and he still was not making enough to maintain his strength he was slowly starving to death now as I prayed and wept over this story this morning. I just heard that some of you who are going to listen today you're prodigals. You've run away from your husband or your wife. You've run away from your family. You've run away from a job. You're angry. You're going to prove that you're somebody. You're going to prove that you can make it on your own. But you didn't do it on your own. You stole from your family. You took everything you could grab. And now you're out here. And you're in the pig pen. And you know your life is unclean. You know you're living a vile life before God. You're filled with pride and arrogance. You have these secret visions of sin that have hardened your heart. Your heart is no longer tender 
are angry, demanding that everybody do it the way you want to do it. And you're also probably playing victim. I was treated unfairly. He lied to me. He said this. He said that. Oh, and you're filled with your rage and your bitterness. Even an act of kindness shown to you would not be enough to satisfy your heart. You have you have too many things that you've written on your list of offenses. Against God, against a brother, against a sister, haven't talked to him for ages. Judgments against your father. Judgments that keep you separate. You know who your father is, and he mistreated you. And your heart has become hardened. There comes a time... And I'm asking Jesus to make today that time for you. There comes a a time when, like this prodigal son in verse 17, this is probably the key verse in the whole story. Luke, the 15th chapter, verse 17. When he came to his senses, there comes a time in every person's life when we have to come to our senses. When we finally have to recognize that we went after what we have done out of some hunger in our heart that no matter what the consequence was, we were going to do it. I've looked at the price I've paid for what I have done. And I've had to come to my senses and weep before God and say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I judged others. I let flow out of my heart the rage and bitterness that comes from lack of success, that comes from a man who feels destitute, from a man who can't achieve his goals. And he finally has to come to his senses. He finally has to say, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now the sad truth is, we have protected ourselves with our jobs and with our credit cards and with our medical plans. We have protected ourselves to such a point that it's very difficult for Americans to come to their senses because we're fat and happy in the far city 
and we've never had to go to the pig pen and feed the pigs. I've been crying out to the Lord. I've been asking him to take every one of us who needs to come to our senses to the pig pen that we could see and know and understand our real condition before a holy and righteous God and recognize that grace does not reign in sin. Death reigns in sin. The passage I read for you in Romans, the sixth chapter, says grace reigns in righteousness. We need to come to our senses. Tell me, was the prodigal son living high on his daddy's money, buying his clothes and his furnishings for his apartment and and all of his friends, was he not then in the pig pen? But he couldn't recognize it. I've been praying, O oh God, give us eyes to see the pig pen. Give us eyes to understand the reality of our condition before you. Cause us to come to our senses. I've been praying that each one of you would know the pig pen of your life and come to your senses. That you would recognize that grace only reigns in righteousness, that grace does not reign in sin. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Some of you need to get up out of the pig pen you're in and go back to your wife or go back to your husband or go back to your boss or go back to your friends whom you have so judged. Some of you need to go back to your father and confess your judgments. For until you do, you will be brought into a famine and your life will never allow you to come to your senses. This man could not come to his senses until he had eaten enough of the pig food and smelled enough of the slop that his heart finally rose up. What an act of grace and mercy that God would cause our sins to rise up and our hearts to become tender once more. What a gift of grace that God would put us in a pig pen and cause us to be in such anguish that we would come to our senses and say, I must go back to my father. 
and there to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Some of you need to get up today and go back to your father. Now let me take just a minute to talk about the father. I'm sure the father saw his son his youngest son, whom he loved, turning more and more rebellious and bitter. But he knew he could not go and rebuke his son, because if he did, he knew his son would flee. And so he suffered months of anger, judgment from his son, grudgingly, agreeing to do what his father asked him to do, and doing it only halfway. And finally, just disobeying his father. The father knows that there's not anything he can do to turn his son. He's tried every act of kindness. He's tried every act of love. And when his son finally says to him, give me half of the inheritance that I am due before his father dies. His father is insulted, hurt, but he knows he has nothing he can say to his son. And I want to tell you it is most significant to me that the father does not travel to the far city to find his son, because I can tell you what will happen if the son is this bitter and this angry and this self-righteous an act of kindness on the father's part will be treated with scorn with bitterness all the father can do is is watch for his son's return the father's heart has been broken He knows the son has to come to his senses before he can even act. The father, he sees his son a long way off. Please, may I say this to you? The Lord God of heaven, Jesus, is watching for you. Your husband or your wife may be watching for you and praying for you. I'm sure part of the Father's prayer was bring my son to his senses. Bring him to a place where life becomes so obvious and so clear that he will come to his senses. Lord, bring him home. While he's still a long way off, his father sees him. 
Now, if we look at the Father through the eyes of the Son, we would expect to see an exacting Father who takes his pound of flesh when the Son begins to return. You're right. You are not my son. Okay, I'll hire you as a slave, but you're not my son. Oh, that wasn't in the father's heart. That was in the in the vision of sin that was in the young man's heart as it hardened against his father as a lie. Well, it was still a long way off. His father sees him. While you're yet a long way off in your self-righteousness, in your lukewarm condition before God, he sees you out there. His heart is filled with compassion for you. Not bitterness, not anger. The father runs. He throws his arms around the son. Filthy as he is, smelling of pig slop, he throws his arms around him. And he kisses him. He weeps over him. And the son begins to cry out, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. father said to his servants quick bring the best robe put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet he's saying look dress my son in my robe bring the the ring that makes him a family member and put it on his finger and bring the sandals that says he's not a servant, he's a member of the family. Dress my son. God will say, come, oh my son, let's have a party. You have returned to me. There will be no recrimination. There will be no bitterness on the part of God. I'm telling you today, you can go to the Father and confess your sin and he will not come with recrimination against you. He will not be angry with you. His heart will be stirred with compassion for you. He will never remind you that you stole half of the property. He'll never remind you that you have acted in such wickedness against him. He will not do that. He will instead welcome you into his family. And he will hold a feast, a party. He says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh, I love this. This story of the prodigal coming home. And the father says, let's celebrate. Now, what happened the next morning? Well, the son is all cleaned up. 
he has his room back. And the father says, okay, son, we have a farm to run. Will you go out to the east pasture and bring the livestock into the the next pasture for the sheep? In other words, he comes back to the father and now he's back at work on the farm. But this time there's no vision of sin. There's no vision of him being somebody. There's no vision of his father mistreating him. He remembers the pig pen. He remembers that darkness brings such vileness. He now is washed clean and a ring is on his finger and sandals on his feet. He belongs again. He's part of the family. And he goes to work on the family farm. Now, it's just like it was before, except he's different. Because his heart has been washed clean. He's no longer bitter and angry. He's no longer filled with judgments and unrighteousness. He's no longer demanding his rights. Instead, he has humbled his heart before God and before men. What will it take today for you to give up demanding your rights? What will it take for you to return to where God wants you to do what God wants you to do? What will it take for you to forgive those that you believe and maybe so have so injured you and so hurt you, so disappointed you? Will you forgive them? True freedom is only found in forgiveness. But the need to forgive is only found in the pig pen. We finally begin to recognize your own vile condition and recognize the grace that God wants to give you where you give up your expectations of everyone, including yourself. You stop all the judgments of yourself, of your wife, of your husband, of your children. You give up the judgments against your mother and your father. And you lift your hands in praise. You give up your judgments against your boss. Some of you so hate the place where you work. And you go there with a grudging heart and a bitter spirit. And you're going to be in that pig pen until you come to your... and say, I've got to give up these demands and these expectations and these bitter thoughts and these... Lord, my life belongs to you. You are the Father. I am yours and you are mine. And now this young man works with vigor on the farm. He joins the Father in joy the dinner meal. He feasts on the riches of his father's provision. Quick
quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Are you a prodigal today? Do you need to give up your bitterness? You may still be at home. You may still be married. You may still be at that job. But you have visions of sin in your heart, in judgments and bitterness, and you're on your way to becoming a prodigal where you're going to split. You're going to leave. You're going to be gone. Some of you are already gone. Oh, my friend, my brother, my sister. We are all prodigals. You know that. That's the story of the human race. We left our father. We grabbed what we could grab and we ran. And we've been on our own. Do you see that? It's time to go home. It's time to confess our sin to our father. It's time to to let God do a new thing in your heart. It's time to let God throw a party for us. Where we give up what we think we want and accept from the Father the ring and the sandals and the robe and the scrubbing so we can do the Father's business, not our business. Let's pray. Oh, my Lord, I pray that today you will bring every one of us who need to go to the pig pen into the fullness of the pig pen and then bring every one of us willing to sense our own need back to your house, Father. Lord, I know I have dwelt in your house with bitterness in my heart. And I have repented and I repent today. And I say, Lord, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your kindness and your mercy, but oh, my Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. I pray that every vision of sin will be extinguished in the heart of each person listening today that we could give up our rage and anger and our self-righteousness and our judgments and our bitterness and simply come and receive the ring and the robe and a place at your table, Father. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Are you a prodigal? Would you take action today to return? 
and to give up the rebellion of your heart. I'd love to hear from you. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I hope you've heard this word in the spirit in which I've given it of love and compassion that we all as prodigals would come to our senses and return from the pig pen to our Father. His grace is enough. God bless you, my dear brother, my dear sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.